The opinions expressed by the guests and contributors of this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Cornell University or its employees. Welcome to another episode of the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. Today, we are appreciating the National Women's History Alliance by discussing their theme for 2023 of celebrating women who tell our stories with our guest, Grace DePaul. Grace has been a member of the Department of Inclusion and Belonging and the editor of our Inclusive Excellence podcast this season. We will talk with Grace about her personal and professional interest in storytelling and how it can be a powerful medium toward increasing inclusion and belonging. My name is Toral Patel. And my name is Erin Semper-Chase. And you are listening to the Inclusive Excellence podcast. Welcome, Grace. So great to have you with us today. Hi, Erin. Hi, Toral. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, Grace, why don't we start with you just sort of, you know, formally introducing yourself to our audience, what pronouns you use, and tell everybody what you have been doing as part of our team for these last six months. Yeah, of course. So, my name is Grace DePaul. I use she, her pronouns, and I am the media assistant for the Department of Inclusion and Belonging. And I primarily work on editing this podcast. So, I'm super excited to be on this side for a change. And I also write the titles, the descriptions. So for the past six months, I've been kind of had the opportunity to hear a lot of these great conversations Mm -hmm. first and working on editing them as best as I can. And I'm also responsible for a lot of the communications efforts that come through our department. So the marketing, flyers for events, our new monthly messages, communications, listserv that highlights a lot of our upcoming events and opportunities. And I also do some website design and write articles for the Chronicle when I get the chance. And I've had some really great colleagues to help me out along the way. Yeah, that's awesome. I think I can speak for Aaron and I when we say that we are so thankful <laughs> that you are here to help us with the edit, especially the editing of the podcast and all of the other skill set that you bring to our team. So Grace, tell us a little bit more about kind of what you did before you joined our team. Yeah, so I actually grew up in the area. Um, I went to Dryden High School. And once I graduated high school, I decided to attend Penn State University. And I studied global and international studies and English there. Mm. And I also received a certificate in diversity studies. Um, And I had a great experience at Penn State. It was a big campus, and I wanted something bigger than small town Dryden. Um, So why not choose a campus of over 46,000 students? Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So it was a bit of a change, but I love that. I had so many opportunities. I was able to continue to play softball. Um, I was on the club softball team, and so we had the opportunity to go to nationals in Georgia. Um, I studied abroad in Barcelona. I had an internship where I learned to edit podcasts. Mm. Um, So that's where kind of the podcast editing began. Mm -hmm. So Penn State gave me a lot of opportunities that I'm I'm really grateful for. Um, But I graduated in 2022, and I had an opportunity to travel the country for a bit um, before returning home, which we can get into later in the podcast. But Now I'm back in my hometown, and I found the perfect opportunity at Cornell and within the Department of Inclusion and Belonging, and I'm really excited to be here. It feels like I'm almost tapping into a part of the community that I didn't really have access to as a teenager in Ithaca, which is a cool feeling to be able to explore new areas of a place where you've already kind of become familiar with. Yeah, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about it from that perspective, but... You know, you grew up in the area, but you didn't necessarily have that connection to Cornell. And so now you're experiencing the university in the area, probably in a very different way. So it's very interesting. Yeah. 
Well, Grace, one of the reasons why we had this great idea, I think, of having a conversation with you is because I saw online that the National Women's History Alliance has designated this year, 2023, National Women's History theme to be, quote, celebrating women who tell our stories. Essentially, what they're encouraging is that we recognize women who have been active in all forms of media and storytelling, everything from print and radio to screen to podcasts to blogs and so on. They really want to highlight women who have been instrumental in passing along our heritage and communicating lessons and giving voice to people who don't always have a voice. And so that was sort of the impetus of, oh, my God, that's what Grace is doing. <laughs> She's really much helping us in storytelling. And you yourself have a connection to storytelling. Tell us more about that connection, that connection that you have to storytelling, where it comes from and, and why it's so important to you. Yeah, thanks for asking that. It's been such a big part of my life, and it's something I'm super excited to talk about. You know, I've always been a big reader. Um, at a young age, I kind of found myself turning to written stories a lot. So I often got absorbed in, like, worlds through reading, and I've always been interested in travel and experiencing a narrative of another individual or a culture or a world, and that was kind of my way of doing that. And so I always thought that it was powerful how words kind of have the ability to transform and enact change and inspire. And so throughout high school, I felt that writing always came naturally to me. Um, I'm a quiet person, so whenever I want to, like, express something verbally, I can only get a fraction of what I want to say out. But once I have a pen and a paper in my hands, it's I can give 110%. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I always go, have always gone above and beyond the page limits and all my essays. (laughs) My teachers (laughs) probably despise me for that. Right. (laughs) But I never saw writing as a creative thing. I never saw writing as a way of storytelling for myself. I always thought that, you know, to be a writer, you had to be extraordinary. And that was exclusive to the best. And so I only saw it as a way to do well in school, to write essays, to argue a thesis, to get a good grade on a paper. But my sophomore year of college, I had the opportunity to study abroad in Barcelona. And I decided to take a travel writing course. And that is when that kind of changed for me. And I began to explore writing as a way of storytelling. And so that's kind of when writing opened up for me as a way to understand and document my immersion into a different culture, my experiences in a new country, and also as a way to navigate who I was in that country amongst Mm -hmm. different people. Um, So those two and a half months in Barcelona really kind of meshed my passion for travel as well as writing. So that was a monumental moment for me, taking this course and learning that writing can be something that's done creatively and that it was accessible to me. It wasn't just some far-off dream. Um, So when I returned home, I actually added an English major my third year of college. And so, wow, (laughs) yeah, I began studying it pretty late. But I also think that my passion for storytelling comes from a craving to see myself represented and to feel less alone. Um, my sophomore year of high school, I began to question my sexuality. And by the time I was 16, I knew that I was gay, but nobody knew. And I didn't know many people who were in the LGBTQ plus community, let alone people my age. Right. So I was in high school and I was feeling pretty alone. So I think I turned to any form of representation of LGBTQ plus people. And I often found that in 
places and in the mediums where those stories exist. So film, you know, music, literature, even like interviews in magazines or anyone who was who was gay and who was able to live their lives authentically. I think that's how I felt less alone. Mm-hmm. So it really wasn't until my sophomore year of college that I started to tell people. So in between high school and college, that time I relied heavily on stories, more so than writing. You know, I was kind of scared to tell my own story and have people find out. So I turned to people who had already done that. So a lot of like writers like Audre Lorde, um, her novel Zami was a huge part of kind of just feeling less alone. But I think despite everything, I think my passion for storytelling, it really comes down to this fascination with people. And I just think that, you know, this idea that Every person you meet is composed of a series of moments and instances and choices that have led them to exactly who they are now. And being able to explore that is so fascinating to me. I mean, the person you're sitting beside on a train or in a cafe or even you're walking by them on your way to work, they all have a unique story. And I think that being able to even have a brief glimpse or to be a part of a fraction of their narrative is so rewarding. So, I mean, today, you know, transitioning from writing into editing the podcast, I think I have a greater understanding of the different forms of storytelling and how there's not just one way to share a story. And so I've thought a lot about the work that I'm doing as sort of like an art form. Mm -hmm. Um, So I always thought that, you know, writing is similar to painting. You have a blank canvas and it's the artist or the writer's responsibility to then begin to paint the image from their mind and from their own thoughts. Whereas I think, you know, the editing the podcast, I feel like I'm a bit of a a sculptor in a way. So, you know, you're given a chunk of material or marble, and then you're responsible for crafting a conversation that is coherent and that's going to make, you know, a lasting impact on the listener. But, I mean, both roles are given a lot of responsibility and both are from my perspective. So what I'm realizing is that, you know, the storyteller has a lot of power to dictate what is being reflected back to the reader or back to the listener. And that's kind of a tricky thing about storytelling is that, you know, it's going to be one perspective. The storyteller is guiding you through their perspective. But I I think that's a really beautiful thing as well, because you can get closer to seeing the world through a different set of eyes that aren't your own. And I think we need more of that. We need individuals who are willing to relinquish their own experiences and place themselves in perhaps an uncomfortable experience of another individual. And so, I mean, that's after all, that's how we learn and that's how we understand one another. And so that's why having, you know, a diverse range of storytellers is so important. A deeper understanding for one another, I think it can translate to a greater awareness and a responsibility to take care of one another. And I just think that's what the world needs. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I would say that Grace, there's so much that you just there's so much. Said very here. Powerful. Yeah, there's so much. Very that powerful. It's like I want to like break it down into little pieces yeah. to talk about it. I think one of the first things that you mentioned that really struck me is this idea that your individual stories, if you're willing to share them, can actually be a safe space for somebody else. Right. Where you mentioned that you weren't able to come out in high school, but yet the stories that you were able to hear or see, um, watch, that that's what created that safe space for you until you were ready to kind of share your story and your life and share yourself with others. Right. And so I think like that in itself was so powerful um, when you shared that with me. Yeah, very much so. And 
And I, and I thought it was really interesting when you said that when you were younger, writing was just sort of a means to an end. So that's not what you said, yeah. but, you know, but essentially you said, yeah, you had to write. You had to write papers in school. You had to get graded, that sort of thing. But you didn't necessarily see it as a form of expression or creativity until you had that experience in Barcelona. Uh, yeah, but see, it sounds like because you were such an avid reader and you were reading so much that it almost seemed inaccessible to you that you could be that person writing, <laughs> you know, and it seemed like an exclusive thing, which I think is really interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way, but then once you were in Barcelona, you found an opportunity to tap into that side of yourself that you could be that person writing and creating. It's really powerful. Yeah, exactly, and I think that, you know, storytelling doesn't have to be exclusive. For some reason, I thought it. I thought it was. Like, why would why would anyone want to hear my story? <laughs> you know, why is my story important? But I think it shows that other people can take bits and pieces of your story and be like, you know what, I relate to that. And you make me feel less alone. And it could be the slightest things, the smallest things that you think won't impact anyone. And it will. Yeah. And see, and I've always thought of writing as, and, and this is something that you're breaking down for me as well, um, is this idea very similar to an artist that you described, like you have to have like a natural talent. And, and I think you do, right? In storytelling, I think that does take a skill set to be able to share uh, other people's stories and even your own experiences in a way that others can relate to and and find, like you said, those little pieces that they might be able to hone in on. Another thing that you said that really um, was inspiring for me is this idea that anybody's story can be inspiring for others, right? And so uh, you never know that somebody that's walking by you or sitting next to you uh, on a train or in a bus that they might have a powerful story um, if you just take the time to, to actually listen. And that's something that I, I live by that philosophy myself in a, in a slightly different way, right? And my mine has always been like, when interacting with somebody, always keep in mind that you don't know what else this person has going on, right? And so keep that in mind through any interaction that you have. And I think that really like sets the tone for how the interaction can go, especially if, you, if you're trying to convey something a negative, right? Um, or if, it, if you're critiquing something in that sense, like just keeping in mind that you don't know what else this person has going on or what other lived experiences um, they're going through at that given moment. So I think that kind of really uh, spoke to me as well. And I like, Grace, the way you phrase it. You said every person made up of a million moments, mm-hmm. um, which I thought that was really, really a meaningful way to say it, you know, um, and then uh, your analogy to editing podcasts is being a sculptor. <laughs> I think that's really kind of cool because, yeah, Toil and I are doing the interviews and we're essentially giving you a, a hunk of clay. <laughs> you <laughs> know, and sometimes it might be a little bit more refined than others. <laughs> you yeah. know, um, so your level of sculpting might fluctuate from one to another. But um, it really speaks to the fact that how much goes into storytelling. That it isn't just about the person telling their story or somebody asking them their story. To your point, shaping it into something that, that feels accessible to other people and, and meaningful to other people. But also the power and the responsibility that that comes with. As you said, realizing that, yeah, we're shaping people's perspectives by how we tell a story and how we choose to write about it or describe it, and you're shaping public perception and views, and that, that comes with a tremendous amount of power and responsibility. Exactly, yeah. It's something to be mindful of as you're, you know, telling these stories. Yeah, and, and so that actually, I think, is a good segue into 
you did something along those lines last summer, uh, last summer and fall, where you engaged in a pretty significant storytelling project um, where you were shaping, you know, a perspective and you were giving voice to something that hadn't been given voice to. Can you tell us more about what that was? Yeah, of course. Um, So in my last year of Penn State, I had to write an honors thesis. And so I chose my topic to be about the women writers of the Beat Generation. Um, So the Beat Generation was a group of writers and poets in the 1950s and the 1960s. And their work rejected a lot of mainstream American values like capitalism and consumerism, um, a lot of politics and conformity. Their work was the basis kind of for the counterculture movement. Um, that emerged out of that. And it was really very experimental. Some of the famous beat poets were Jack Kerouac, Allen Ginsberg, and William Burroughs. And so Jack Kerouac had this famous novel. It's called On the Road. Um, And so he hitchhikes in this novel across the country, and he documents it. And so travel was a really big element of the beat movement. But I found that there wasn't much discussion about the women writers during this time. So because travel and movement around the country and writing about it was central to a lot of the beats, the women were highly excluded due to social norms and these gendered restrictions that tied women oftentimes to the home. You know, they were the caregivers. So these writers, they, they weren't able to travel in a way that the men did. And so I found that they were lost. You know, their writing was lost. So... In my last semester, I kind of came up with this crazy idea with my professor, and I decided to write a grant. And, you know, if they were to give me money, that would be great. If not, um, (laughs) then that was just an idea. But I was going to try to recreate the Beats travels, but through a female perspective. So I wanted to try storytelling in a way that these women writers in the 1950s were unable to. Mm -hmm. And luckily it got approved. And so my girlfriend and I, she's actually a student at SUNY Brockport. She's currently getting her master's in English. Uh Um, So she also used this trip as research for her thesis. But we decided to travel across the country for four weeks. And so we did it very minimalistically. Um, We kind of tried to recreate those travels. So my dad and I built a sleeping platform for the back of his Jeep. He He was really kind in letting letting me bring his Jeep across the country, (laughs) which I'm not sure if he's regretting that now, over 7,000 miles later. (laughs) But, I mean, we built the sleeping platform. Essentially, the Jeep is going to be our home. So we each packed one duffel bag of clothes, brought one cooler of food, and we left at the end of August, and we didn't return until the end of September. So my goal for the project was to simply live an experience and consistently write about it along the way. So I made it a goal of mine to write at least one entry every single day and document our travels. Um, We started in New York. We hit Badlands, Yellowstone, the Grand Tetons, Portland, and then we made our way down the coast for several days. So we hit the Redwoods, San Francisco, Carmel, and then Big Sur. And then that's when we cut back across to Zion, um, the Arches in Utah, Colorado, Memphis, Tennessee, and then our very last stop was Nashville. And so we spent a day in each, roughly a day in each location, and then we, were, we would go back on the road. So we traveled, I believe, across 22 different states, 
over 7,300 miles all in 28 days. So it was it was a challenge to live so fast-paced and still make time to write. And that's often a struggle for someone who writes creative nonfiction because everything is drawn from your lived experiences. So you need to live in order to write, but also still make time to write in the midst of all of that. Um, so it reminds me of, I have this quote that I keep in my wallet that I have for, for several years. Um, and it's a Henry David Thoreau quote. And it's, how vain is it to sit down to write when you have not stood up to live? Um, so that was kind of my motto on the trip, to not only tell the story that the beat women were never able to do, but also to do things along the trip that were worthy of remembering and, and writing down. Yeah, that's, a, that's an amazing quote. Yeah. Yeah. So what were, um, was there anything in particular that happened on that trip that was particularly meaningful? I'm sure there was a lot that was meaningful, but um, just in terms of, you know, in, in honor of your quote, in honor of, you know, you recognizing that you, you need to live a life that's worthy of, of sharing and telling people about, what you know, anything in particular that, that happened on the trip that was meaningful for you to write about? Um, I will say that, you know, being two women, you know, my family was pretty nervous about us traveling and kind of, you know, we would stop off at campgrounds and sometimes we didn't know where we were going to be stopping off. So we quick had to kind of find a campground before it got dark. But I will say that the kindness of strangers was in abundance. Like I, I didn't know what to expect, you know, traveling to different parts of our country definitely as two women, was something that I wasn't ever nervous or scared in any situation, but it was something to be cautious about. But along the way, people were so kind and they were so intrigued. And, you know, wherever we were, whether it was Idaho or, you know, the coast of California or even in the deep south, we received just so much kindness and, and people were so willing to ask or you know, to come up to us and say, hey, I saw your New York plates. I also used to live in New York for a period of time and just starting those conversations, which right now, you know, post pandemic, I think we all are still very distant. And my generation too, you know, we have social media and things that I think kind of block communication with others. But having people come up to us and, you know, just start conversations and ask where we're going and I think that was really rewarding. And that is something that I wrote about a lot as I was traveling was just the different people we met and the different experiences and lives they had and, you know, where they were traveling to. One person, I think we met at a laundromat in um, the Grand Tetons and he had just quit his job and was just like, you know what, I'm going to go travel. And so we talked a bit with him and and there's just so many people out there and so many stories to be told. And so I think that was the most rewarding was just to to connect with people who were doing the same thing as us. Which is kind of really unique because it really speaks to what you said earlier about the stories of people that you just would have never met, right? Like all of those people you would have never met had you not gone on this journey. Like you said, you just met somebody at a laundromat and you, you were able to share stories and find things in common. So can I ask you the opposite question of what Aaron asked? Is there anything you would have done differently? Oh, I mean, the nature of the trip was very fast paced, like very fast paced. We only had 28 days to do it. So oftentimes, you know, we were driving for 10 to 12 hours 
a stretch and then we'd get to one spot, have one night and then get up in the morning and do it all over again. So I think it would have been ideal to be able to hang around in some areas a, a bit more. That was the one thing that we were like, man, I wish we had a week on the coast yeah. of California or, <laughs> you know, or a week in the Tetons. That was such a great, a great spot. Um, but yeah, that was just the nature of the trip. So we'll definitely be back again to some of those spots that we weren't able to fully immerse ourselves in. You know, we only got kind of the barely touching, scraping the surface on some of those areas. I really like when you talk about how understandably as two women who happened to also be a same-sex couple, you had to, of course, be cautious and might not be so sure what some of these areas were that you were entering in terms of how you might be received. And it makes me think about how, you know, a lot of that cautiousness has also been shaped by what's going on in our country and our world right now, right? And we did, and again, back to media and storytelling, we, we tend to hear a lot of really bad things, you know, and people not being nice to each other and not treating each other well and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And so those, all those things are giving us good reason to be cautious. Um, so it's really powerful to hear <laughs> that you entered cautiously, but yet you ended up having these experiences with people in places that you probably did not think at all that you would have positive experiences. And it really speaks to the power of human connection mm-hmm. beyond, you know, personal viewpoints or, you know, belief systems or anything like that. The power of just connecting with another human is just how much that can make a difference. And I mean, in, in the news media, what you typically hear are, to Aaron's point, are like, are the negative stories, right, Of that, that are newsworthy, I guess, according to their standards, but there are equally uh, positive stories, equal number of positive stories out there as well. And I like to think when we talk about inclusion work that we as human beings actually have more things in common than we do differences. And these are the types of stories that actually speak to that, right, is the, is the things that we actually have in common and how we're able to relate even through some of the differences that we have. Exactly. And I mean, our travels and telling our story and hearing the stories of others, that was just, I think that just goes to show how stories connect and they just continuously cross boundaries and make it available for people to connect with one another. So kind of taking that that turn a little bit, when you take on that responsibility of sharing somebody else's story, do you also then change the way you actually share that story, right? So whether depending on who you're speaking to, what that story is, the location um, of where that story takes place, does your tone and the way you share that story change? Well, because I also was traveling with someone. So I was traveling with my girlfriend and, you know, I've read some of her pieces that she's currently writing right now that are coming out of it and reading her perspective of the trip and what details she remembered. And so as I was writing, I, when I included her, I was very mindful of, I didn't want to tell her story for her, but who she was in my story was my version of her. So I don't know, it's definitely very interesting, but you know, as I was traveling, I knew that the one consistent thing in my writing was me. That was the only consistent thing and that was the only authentic thing was how I was feeling in those instances. You know, I could write about the person I had met, but that's only gonna show who they were to me in that one moment for maybe 30 seconds that we passed by or said hi. So I think I relied on 
knowing that I was the only one who could tell this story right now. And so I needed to do it in a way that was authentic to me, that it was something that I wanted to read back and be like, this is exactly what I wanted to write. So I made sure that because I was the only consistent thing, that's who I needed to be authentic to. And I knew I wasn't going to get, you know, if we were traveling to a coffee shop or like on the coast and, you know, we needed new breaks at one point. I remember stopping at a coffee shop and this this guy had a he came out and he was checking our car. He he had a roommate who was a mechanic. And so I wrote about him, but his character, it was how I had created him. And so I was just mindful of that and just knowing that, you know, that one instance belonged to me. So I could write it however I wanted. And I think that's the freedom of creative nonfiction is that it's it's nonfiction. It's based on that person exists, that place exists. But the creative aspect is that I created a narrative for him. And so, yeah, I definitely, as I was moving throughout the country, I just relied on the fact that I was the only consistent thing. I relied on a lot of concrete details. So I wanted to make sure I got like the details of, you know, the sandwich I had eaten or the color of this or that. Because I knew that the characters that I interacted with, I couldn't get all of, there were no concrete details to really cling on to if it was their personality or, you know, I didn't know their whole story. So I could portray them in one way. That's not necessarily concrete. You know, people are, are shifting constantly. So I found myself clinging to a lot of like environmental details. I think that that gave me a lot of um, comfort because everything was so fast paced and changing and I didn't know a lot about the people or the places or the background. So I knew I couldn't authentically represent them because I was essentially a tourist traveling through. So that's why I kind of like honed in on those, those small details. Uh, Grace, because you've edited the podcast this season, you know that one of our our biggest themes have been really digging into what belonging and inclusion means for each of our guests. I'm going to ask you the same question that we've asked everybody, all of our other guests. What do they mean to you? What define those terms for us in your words? I know. I was thinking about what to say because all your guests have said (laughs) such great things Um, and I continuously hear it. But I think that, you know, I see inclusion and belonging as almost like two sequential steps. You know, if we're continuing with the idea of storytelling, I think inclusion is feeling safe in your environment and amongst people to tell your story. You know, you're welcome to share who you are and you're brought into a space to do so. But I think that belonging goes a step further and you feel as though the environment and the people around you are genuinely invested in your story and who you are. So that means that not only do I feel safe and welcomed enough to share who I am, but I'm also being encouraged and and being asked to do so. And I think, you know, the most I've ever felt as though I belonged is when I'm surrounded by people who genuinely want to know my story. And I think that's the difference between feeling safe and comfortable to do so and then taking it a step further and, and feeling as though, you know, what I'm about to share is going to be valued. And I think, you know, what has helped me find a sense of inclusion and belonging first is something I had to do or go through by myself beforehand. So, you know, validation from other people is great. And it, it definitely helps in order to feel as though you know, you belong in different spaces and it makes it easier. But for me, I think I really needed to believe 
in my own heart and in my own mind first that I belonged. Because if I didn't believe so, if I didn't believe that I belonged myself, that no matter how included or how much encouragement I received from other people, I would never feel truly like I belonged or that I fit there. So I think, you know, if we talk about those two realms or environments where I kind of struggled to feel like I belonged, you know, one being first the LGBTQ plus community, you know, there was a part of me that needed to feel comfortable with stepping into that space and assuming that part of my identity and, you know, being able to say those words out loud. And then, you know, similarly as a writer, I've always had a bit of like imposter syndrome uh, when it comes to this title. You know, there's no there's no test you can take that deems you a writer. You know, it's a rather subjective profession. And, you know, I still struggle with that today about when you can say, oh, I'm a writer or whether I can be included in that community or if I even belong. And so for me, I think, you know, a part of me feeling as though I belonged and that I was included was me needing to believe in my capability and my worth, you know, before I could share that with other people. Yeah, I, I kind of love that idea that it's it's not only on the organization or other people to make you feel the belonging, right? I think they can help create that positive environment, but I agree that uh, some of it comes from your own self as well. I think I've, I've always looked at it that way, you know, and I think Aaron and I've talked about that in our previous podcast as well. Um, I always look at it as like knowing what my self-worth is, right? And who I am as an individual. And if I walk into a space that, oh, I belong here then naturally it will lead others to create that space for me as well. And so I, I agree with you because I also feel very similar. I really find that powerful, Grace. And, and no one a guest has said that. So, so you're already in the original. <laughs> I knew you were worried about following all I the know, other guests. Yeah. But no, yeah. that, was, that was definitely an original perspective because, you know, yes, yes, we need to be creating those spaces. But you're right. As individuals, we all have to get comfortable in that space, <laughs> you know, ourselves. And that, that's very much an, an individual journey that we all have to go through. So it's really powerful. Yeah, and that's, um, it's hard to do to make yourself feel as though you belong. And I think that's where other people come in, you know, to help give you the courage or the the strength to do so. You know, when I was in Barcelona, my travel writing professor, actually, you know, he was one of the first people who kind of read my work and said, you know what, this is, this is good. Like, <laughs> this is great. And, and I've never, you know, seen writing like this quite before. And so then, I think that was what ignited a change in me. And I was like, you know what? I can do this. And I, I do belong in this realm of, you know, writers. And sometimes that's all you need, too, is, is someone to kind of ignite that within you and help you flip a switch and be like, you know what? I, I do belong. Yeah. I was going to say, I had a very similar um, incident myself when I came into the DEI space, right? So I think our, our listeners know that before I, um, I took on the diversity inclusion work, I was primarily a recruiter. Um, I, you know, I hired and filled staff positions throughout my career. And I didn't think I was ready for like solely being in the diversity and inclusion space. And it took a person to say, yeah, but look what you've been able to do in the DEI space without actually being in the field, right? And so imagine what you could do if this is where you were able to focus all of your energy. And so it took somebody else seeing that for me to also believe it in myself to say, oh yeah, I think I do belong there and I can do that work. Yeah, so very similar um, experience myself. 
Yeah, definitely. And again, it also speaks to the power that we have to help other people see something in themselves that they might not see and accept a part of themselves that they really haven't thought to accept yet, you know, about them. Um, So you sort of talked before about how the power of storytelling to help improve our ability to connect with other humans that are different than us and to understand diverse experiences that we maybe have not had of our own. And and that's why it's so important to have diverse storytellers, (laughs) you know, who are out there in that way. So I'd love to talk more about that, Um, your perspective on how can storytelling or the storytellers actually help increase a sense of inclusion and belonging, particularly for people who haven't always been able to feel that in this environment because of whatever identities that they hold. How can storytelling or the storyteller help with that? I think it works in multiple ways. You know, early on when I was still in in high school, I used storytelling as an escape, a way to kind of leave my current environment, which, you know, didn't feel all that accepting or comfortable to me and kind of live vicariously in a different in a different one. Um, but then I, I grew to understand storytelling as an outlet, as a way to share your own story, almost like a therapeutic release of everything that you've been holding on to, you know, every experience, both the positive and the negative, and kind of be able to set that weight down through words or through writing or in any, you know, shape that that takes on um, for you. And now I think I've learned how these two ways of producing and then consuming storytelling, they kind of work in tandem and they allow people to connect. And so it allows people who haven't always felt included in, you know, where they currently are now or where they're currently at in their life to know that, you know, they're not alone. And I think that's why representation of all individuals in all industries is so important. You know, books, like I mentioned before, music, television, film, I mean, they're all portrayals of life. And so at least for me, seeing people who identified in the same ways that I did was confirmation and and validation that I did belong. And even though I might, might not have been, you know, feeling that at the moment or in my present environment, I knew it was out there. And storytelling was a way to almost eliminate borders and eliminate distance that often prevents and and blocks these feelings of inclusion and belonging. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think storytelling is a way to amplify voices and to show people the intricacies of our stories and of our lives. And there's a reason people continue to read and listen to stories to this day and listen to this podcast. And it's because I believe that deep down, you know, we want we want to see ourselves in these stories and know that whatever it is we're experiencing, that, you know, we aren't alone. And, and I think it also alludes to something you said earlier. It's about the, the concept and the idea that everyone's stories are worth telling or sharing, right? That there are some pieces of, of that individual story that others might be able to relate to. So it's, it's worth sharing that. And so, you know, so the concept of expanding outside of the typical the typical stories that we normally see, right? Or or the negative stories that we always see and expanding that and that allows the opportunity for individuals to be able to relate. And maybe like to your point, if they're not quite ready to share their identities with the world, that there is an outlet for them to say, okay, there are others mm-hmm. out there who who might be going through the same things that I have and, and that, that uh, being able to relate to somebody else's story might help them in, in their individual lives too. 
Well, I think it really um, speaks to the responsibility of storytellers. And by storytellers, I'm also talking about the people that might control the mechanism by which stories are told through, right? So you think about news outlets or you think about, you know, magazine editors, or, you know, newspaper editors, whatever it is. It's also being appreciative of the fact that there are a million different stories out there. And are we doing them all justice? Or are we only telling one type of story, <laughs> you know? versus realizing, you know, there are a lot of different types of stories out there and, and how are we appreciating that responsibility that we have to make sure that there is diversity in those stories because it, it does help people to, as you said, break down borders and sort of understand the world, you know, gain more diverse perspectives of the world and that sort of thing. I think that that's really important because we, we don't see a lot of that. So it's, again, if we're, if we're going to help people expand their thinking and kind of appreciate different perspectives, you have to give them different perspectives. <laughs> you know, you have to tell different stories, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I was going to relate to that. I mean, uh, you know, when we have the award seasons coming up for movies or, or television, um, how many times do you see sometimes the winners will get up there and say like, oh, yeah, you know, thank you for actually a, a sharing like a women centric or Asian centric um, movies because you don't see a lot of those. Right. And so I think there I think it's great that we are kind of moving towards that. But I also think that there is space for so much more storytelling and so many different types of uh, experiences that still need to be shared. Exactly. Yeah. It's an industry that's never going to die out. You know, you're never no. <laughs> going to run out of stories to tell. So that's promising. And yeah, that makes me happy <laughs> to believe in that. And we need to take the opportunity to actually share those different stories and right. different perspectives, not the same old, same old. Making them accessible, as you said, Toro, mm -hmm. because, you know, if I look really hard, I can find stories right. about people with disabilities, but I'm not finding them in mainstream media, right? Like, I have to know where the secret hideaways are, you know, in order to get, right. you know, access to those kinds of Or the stories. secret Netflix codes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, even when I, um, when I used to teach disability studies, that's a whole field. But yeah. when you go into a typical bookstore... You're not finding a section in that bookstore that devoted to disability studies like you are to maybe other types of studies, right? Like a whole section on feminist and gender studies, you know, whole section on, you know, um, uh, African-American study, which is good because those didn't exist either, you know, right. 20, 30 years ago. So, you know, the progress is there, but you're not finding disability study sections, right? I got to go to Amazon for that. <laughs> I have to go to, you know, private, you know, websites to find those thing, which can lead people to think they don't exist. Because you're not seeing these stories front and center, then you, you know, misassume that, oh, well, there aren't really any. There's nothing there to learn. There's nothing there to really know about. So making all these stories accessible in, in mainstream ways is, is a critical piece, too. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. Grace, any final thoughts or comments? It's been such a joy to get to know you even better and to just hear your, your thoughts on, on all these subjects. But, and, of course, you are an amazing podcast editor. Oh, thank uh, you. I can't believe it took us six yes. months to realize we should be interviewing you. You know, <laughs> I can't believe it took six months for us to think of that, but I'm glad it did. But uh, any final thoughts or comments that you want to share? I just want to say thank you for giving me the chance to, you know, tell a little bit about my own story. This has been great. Thank you so much. 
Yeah, thank you for all of your help with the editing. And uh, I'm glad that we were able to put the shoes on the other foot for you for oh, once I know. Um, yeah. and, not, and not be behind, you know, behind the scenes. But I'm glad that we got an opportunity to have you front and center as well yeah, and share your you. story. Grace, I know you're, you're a perfectionist as an editor, but, uh, you know, and I know it could be weird to hear yourself. And now you have to go and edit this. Oh, I know. <laughs> I don't want to end up with a 10-minute podcast because you don't like your voice or you don't like what you said. Oh, I don't know, Erin. No promises. <laughs> I know this next week is going to be quite the fun time right, <laughs> listening to, to myself over and over. And over. <laughs> That's okay. I'll get through it. That's right. Well, thank you again, Grace. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a production of the Department of Inclusion and Belonging in collaboration with the Cornell Broadcast Studio. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and submit a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners to find us and the show. For the latest updates on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging at Cornell, be sure to visit diversity.cornell.edu. My name is Erin Sumber-Chase. And my name is Toral Patel. We would also like to thank our co-producer and sound engineer, Bert Odom-Reed, as always, for making us sound wonderful each and every episode. Thanks, Thanks Bert. Bert.